Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life here on this Thursday. Only got a couple days left here in the month of July. Already heading into those hot August days, right? Hot hot August nights. Um, (laughs) I'm Josh Raymond. Glad to have you along for this hour of spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app as we try and understand how God is speaking, how God is leading in our lives, and ultimately so that we can have uh, friendship with God here and we can have the hope of heaven. Um, Now, today as we begin the program, you got to make a choice. Which one do you like? Are you a fan of Star Trek or Star Wars? Or do you prefer the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Or do you go for chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? Now, my wife and I, we have six daughters. Um, for one of the, for the, the daughters that are old enough to be dating... I've posed that Star Wars versus Star Trek question to any boys that have wanted to take them to a school dance or, you know, start on any sort of dating relationship with one of our girls. And they never expect that question. I usually start off with, you know, well, it's nice to meet you. I suppose we should, you know, uh, talk about some of the important things, you know, getting to know you. And when I ask them Star, Star Wars versus Star Trek... It catches them a bit off guard, but it also disarms them so they'll be a little more at ease. They'll be more conversational. My wife and I, then we can talk with them in a more relaxed manner, get to know them a little bit better in that first encounter of new boyfriend meeting the parents of the girl. But that question, that question, whether you like Star Trek or Star Wars, it leads you actually into a logical fallacy. Mr. Spock from Star Trek following his Vulcan upbringing that's devoted to logic, well, he would immediately point out the flaw in this question because it suggests that the person being asked the question, they must choose between two options and that these are the only two options. They are mutually exclusive and you have no alternative but to choose one or the other. And this is what is known as a false dichotomy or a false dilemma. And there are all kinds of logical fallacies that we can fall into regularly. Sometimes we might be using one without realizing it. Other other times someone might pose something to us that sounds pretty good on the surface. But then if you take a moment to examine what's really being said, you soon can discover that there are problems with the statement. And in the case of a false dichotomy of making someone choose between only two options, well, there can be... A number of problems there. Maybe I don't like Star Wars and I don't like Star Trek. I prefer Doctor Who. 
Or maybe I thoroughly enjoy both Star Wars and Star Trek. There's no actual conflict of having to choose either. I can choose both of them, and I can add on to that. I like Doctor Who as well. Sometimes we really do have only two options, but many times when we have someone present to us an either-or scenario, it's not as simple as what is being asked or suggested. And we can run into this kind of problem all over in life, especially when it comes to our faith. We live in a culture where more and more we see religion being isolated, kind of being cornered in many different ways, where we are being presented with two options if, as if there are no other possible choices, no other possible options. One of the most prevalent ones in recent years is this notion that if you believe in God, then you must not accept science. It's either God or science, religious belief or scientific fact. So which one is it? Which are you going to choose? And if you say that you believe in God, well, then that must mean that you reject science. But again, this is another one of those false dichotomies. Belief in God and accepting sound scientific research and discovery, the two are not mutually exclusive. They can be absolutely in harmony. One of the largest collective voices that's making arguments like these, uh, it's a growing number of publicly active atheists. And honestly, some of them raise good questions, you know, difficult, tough questions. But the questions don't necessarily disprove the existence of God. And there are ways to respond. There are answers to the questions that are brought forth. But when you encounter someone who is very intelligent, they're quite articulate, and they present tough questions or what seem to be maybe some very strong points, to try and prove that God does not exist, you can find yourself a little bit shaken, perhaps caught off guard. And then you might start to question what you believe. And little doubts can start to set in. So what should you do when this happens? This is what we want to discuss today on The Inner Life. Those times when we face doubts, we want to look at how we can have confidence in what we believe, yes, but also have confidence in the fact. And I specifically use that word. It's a strong word. In the fact, the proof that there is indeed a God who can be known through reason and can be known even better through the ways he has revealed himself to humanity. And this also then will allow us to respond intelligently when someone questions us as to the existence of God or what we believe. And joining us is our spiritual director today as we unpack so much here during this hour. I'm very glad to welcome back to the program Father Jim Goins. Father Jim is a priest in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. He's the pastor of St. Eugene's Parish there in Oklahoma City. Father Jim, welcome back to The Inner Life. So, hey, thank all right, you Star Trek or Star Wars? Back. Yeah, I Yeah, no, glad to have you. <laughs> well, Star Trek or Star Wars, Father? You know, I would be one of those guys who would say neither. Uh, I'm a, a Dune fan. I would say Dune. If I had to go okay. with a science fiction, it would be Dune. Very good, very good. Yeah, well, that's some serious world building if you get into some of those uh, novels by Herbert there. But um, regardless... We're not talking science fiction today. We're not talking about, uh, you know, spices that can be found on a planet or giant <laughs> worms that are chasing us. Right, right. Um, so let's start talking, you know, here this hour about atheism. Aside from kind of the basic definition that atheism is the absence of any sort of belief in any sort of God or deity, 
what else is good for us to know as Catholics about atheism, and, and especially the kind of prominent kind of atheism that we see more and more and we hear from in our contemporary culture? I think it's important for our listeners to understand what has happened within the atheistic movement. And late in the previous century, you had the rise of very charismatic atheistic intellectuals, uh, Christopher Hitchin, uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, a whole cadre of, of intellectuals who were very, very charismatic, very personable, very persuasive. And what was ultimately termed the, termed the new atheism. And here's what happened. Atheism moved from sort of an apathy toward the idea of God to an outright hostility to the idea of God. And the new atheists will tell you that religion, that belief in God, is a pernicious lie, a harmful lie, and that religion has to be rooted out of society if humanity is to advance. This was a development that, frankly, we did not anticipate. And it has been very difficult for people of faith to respond to that. Because, you, one, you can't really dialogue with someone who, who thinks that your life is a pernicious lie and harmful to society. It's very difficult to dialogue with those folks. So we have been, I think, sort of thrown off kilter a bit by the new atheistic movement. Uh, well, and there also becomes this, not only is dialogue impossible, if there is this preconceived notion that what you believe, if you believe in God, if you're a Christian or person of faith, if that's where you're coming from, there's not only that, you know, this this person is believing a lie, the person looking at the Christian is probably going to say, you are intellectually weak. You need exactly. this in your life because you can't cope rationally in our society without some sort of moral guidance code. You couldn't figure it out on your own. So there also becomes this bit of condescension that can enter into that, that conversation when you try and, you and have a conversation. That if you if the viewers want to Google or YouTube any of these exchanges between the, the new atheists and believers, you see that, you can hear that in those uh, confrontations. You know, a lot of ridicule, a lot of demeaning of the believer's intellect, this feeling, this idea, the argument that those of us who believe in God that we're not as smart as atheists. And they will often cite all of these dubious stats about how that atheists are smarter and believers tend to be dumb people. It's a full frontal assault on the place of faith in society. So no longer an apathy toward the idea of God, out-and-out out hostility, it, it, almost as if they believe they need to root 
God out of human culture, period. And that's a big challenge for us. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what you're talking about there, too, even though it's not directed towards one individual, it's directed towards a group, it really becomes another logical fallacy, one that's called an ad hominem attack. Exactly. Where you're going after the person or a group of people saying, you know, your your belief doesn't hold up because of you, and let me attack you. That's, you know, that's what ad hominem means. It means to the man attacking the right. person rather than attacking the question itself. And so... You know, even with some of that, there has to be the ability to recognize what's happening in the conversation. And a lot of times, I, you know, th this happens in any kind of conversation where there's a debate. It can happen in political conversation. It can happen um, between two Christians who are debating something that maybe is open for debate as far as religious belief. You have to be careful that you don't kind of get off on tangential <laughs> conversations that you don't lose track of where you're trying to go in the conversation. It's the so I think it's man's way to argue a point. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, so I, it really does help to kind of make sure you you know there are all kinds of questions that can be brought up. You can go in so many different directions, but if you're really going to talk about the existence of God, it's to try and get that back on track. Okay, that's a good question, but that's not the topic here. Let's get back to what we were originally talking about here. Um, you know, the other thing that, as you're talking about this new atheism that we've seen with the likes of Hitchens, Dawkins, um, Sam Harris, so many others out there, uh, I think personally in my life, I've encountered a number of different kinds of atheists. They, uh, just, I'm kind of making general groups or categories here, but one is somebody who maybe was associated with the church, was a Christian, or somehow associated with Christian belief, but then they see a Christian teaching or a church doctrine that goes at odds with how they want to live their life, so they walk away from the church, and they say, right. well, I don't agree with that, so... I'm, I, I don't believe in God. There can't be a right. God if God would, would judge me on this. the church with God. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's they, that. Or if they come up against something, someone in the church who does harm, who, you know, is uh, not living the way they should be, they lose faith not just in the church, they lose faith in God. That's a particularly right. tragic form of atheism. Well, and I think that kind of is a bridge between that first group that I've seen and the second group, which is somebody who is angry at God because of some tragic event that happened. Might be in their life, might be in the life of somebody that they love, but it evokes this kind of response along the lines of, I simply cannot believe in a God that would allow something like that to happen. And so whether that is something you know perpetrated by someone inside the church or it's just really tragic circumstances, suffering that we deal with in our, our lives, they fall into that category. Exactly. And the third group that I've seen is people who, they look at uh, religion and they say, oh, there's all these similarities in different world religions, and that must mean that none of them are true. They all must fall in this bucket of mythology because I can see commonality even though there's some little differences, you know, they, they all basically are kind of telling the same thing. 
And so these are some of the general groups that I've seen as far as atheists I've personally dialogued with, I've personally met in the past. Uh, are there other groups that you see out there that, um, you know, maybe comprise other mindsets? There are, and I'm trying to think of the name of the author, uh, the the churchman, I think John Cardinal Murray maybe was his name, but he spoke about the godless man of the academy, the, the godless man who confuses knowledge uh, for God, and the godless man of the marketplace, the man who worships money and pushes God out of his life because his God is money. There are many different forms of atheism. And I tell people, you know, if you're, if you're speaking with an atheist, maybe of an atheist in your family, try to discern where they fall on this continuum. And that will guide you in your response. Traditionally, the Church has been most sympathetic to people who fall into atheism out of despair for human suffering. Those atheists are the, the closest to the heart of the church. We've always had a great love for those folks because human suffering can feel overwhelming. And, and suffering and mourning can suffocate one's faith. We even speak of that in the funeral rituals. We pray that the grief will not suffocate the faith of the family. So those folks, I think you can actually have very important, heartfelt conversations with them and guide them back to an affirmation of God. Yeah, well, that's that's been my experience, too. You know, if somebody is mad at God and they say they can't believe in a God who would allow this suffering to happen, whether it's in their life or the life of somebody they love, they're the ones that... Even though there's that, I don't believe in God anymore, I think it's really just easier to say that rather than acknowledge there's God, I'm mad at God, and I, I, want, I want answers, even though there might not be a satisfactory answer as to the suffering in the immediate moment. You know, sometimes we're able to see the, the results of that later in our lives, you know, um, be able to see how God has worked and how that suffering led to something better, some something that God wanted to accomplish and achieve in our lives. But a lot of times we just don't get to see that, especially in the moment. But yeah, that's a, the, that's the a very good point. And I often tell people if if you are angry with God and you say you don't believe in God because you're angry at the suffering about the suffering that you have witnessed or experienced, that anger is in and of itself an affirmation of God's existence. Because you would not be able to be angry at something that does not exist. So the anger is, in fact, a relationship with the divine. Now, not the best relationship, not one that should remain. You know, you, you would hope that people would you know, evolve out of that, but it is an affirmation of God's presence, of his existence. And that's important to, when I counsel people, I, it's an important moment for them to understand, and that God, I always tell people, you know, God is big enough 
to shoulder your anger. You know, yeah. that the Lord on the cross, you know, he absorbed the anger of the world. He knows he knows that in us. I'm talking with Father Jim Goins today here on The Inner Life, and we're discussing uh, a very prevalent new atheism that we've seen arise in our society over the last several years, the last couple decades, and also how, how we respond to that to somebody who might challenge us on our faith, but even for ourselves when we experience that challenge internally. When we face those doubts, those questions, how can we deal with that in our own lives? And when have you been questioned about your belief in God? How did you respond? And maybe did it bring up that struggle with doubts in your life? And what helped you to be able to move past those doubts? Maybe you have a question. There's uh, somebody in your family who is who ha- has left the church, and they say they're an atheist now, and you're not sure how to interact with them. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Jim. Our phone number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can also email us at innerlife at relevantradio.com, and we'll continue our conversation and uh, discuss some different proofs, some different uh, uh ways that we can reason and look and say, no, there really is a God. That's coming up next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and I'm joined by Father Jim Goins here today as we're talking about the new atheism, how we can respond to that, both to the person that might be challenging us in our belief of God, but also how maybe if we are struggling with some doubts, some questions internally in our own lives, how we can respond to those doubts as well. And uh, we're also inviting your phone calls, 888-914-9149. Maybe you've had an ongoing dialogue with somebody you know that is an atheist, and how has that been progressing? Um, Maybe you have some questions because you're not sure how to respond to certain uh, arguments, certain points that have been made, and uh, they're they're difficult for you, and you'd like some advice, some insight, uh, you're welcome to talk with Father Jim. Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149. Father, I want to talk about St. Thomas Aquinas, who gave answers to almost anything you might want to know about the faith. <laughs> almost, but, yeah. Um, yeah, but he, he gives five proofs. Before we get into his five proofs for the existence of God, let's go to the phones. We've got Tom, who's calling in from Stewart, Florida, uh, with a great recommendation. Tom, welcome to The Inner Life. You've got a book that you were going to recommend. Uh, yes, um, I just recently picked it up, so I haven't really had a chance to read the whole thing yet, but from what I have read, it, it, the book is by C.S. Lewis, and it is uh, titled The Problem of Pain. I know it, it kind of doesn't, you know, sound like it would, you know, relate to this conversation. However, it really does, and C.S. Lewis, I think, nails it, because a lot of times when you're talking, uh, 
with people who may be somewhat, you know, narrow-minded in, in their thoughts. They're very subjective in their thoughts uh, against objectively moral good principles, which, you know, is what the Church stands for. So I thought maybe it would be a good suggestion to the listeners. C.S. Lewis is always a good read, always a good suggestion. Uh, He's one of the greatest thinkers we've produced, and I think that's an excellent suggestion. And even in the beginning of that book, Tom, you know, you're you're right. He's he, that could be a great resource if you're talking with somebody who's an atheist, but also if there is, you know, somebody who doesn't believe in God and they're willing to take the time to read that book. C.S. Lewis starts off by pointing out I was an atheist, and he kind of gives his reasons for why he was an atheist, and here are some of the reasons why I had to leave that behind. Um, just from a rational, logical standpoint. And he, he talks about that in that book. He talks about it also in his book, Mere Christianity. So, yeah, it, it's it's definitely worth looking at some of his explanations, some of his reasoning. Um, a lot of it comes down to a point where he'll talk about good versus evil. And if there's good and if there's evil, it can't just be subjective, that what I say is good is good only for me, and what somebody else says is evil, might still be good for me. Um, there, can't, there can't just be this relative idea of good and evil. If we're going to have good and evil, there has to be some deciding uh, force or energy or being behind it that help all of us kind of come to the same conclusions on certain things, this idea of fairness, this idea of goodness. And that's where C.S. Lewis then progresses to say, if there's going to be something behind that, that's where I had to start and acknowledge whoever, whatever that is, it, it's God. Um, kind of even, you know, a, a few hundred years before C.S. Lewis, though, we had St. Thomas Aquinas, as I mentioned, Father, and he gives these five different proofs that God does exist. Can you kind of just give us a, a, a brief summary and overview of what St. Thomas Aquinas uh, talks about? Right. They're often called, you know, the five proofs or the five ways. And Aquinas is, of course, uh, brilliant in the way that he uh, leads the reader through these different arguments. There's the argument of the unmoved mover that we can see in the world, how that things are changed when they're impacted by, by something else or someone else. And he argues, look, this cannot be an endless chain, that there is... Uh, an unmoved mover, someone, uh, an entity, a God, who set this in motion. And it's closely related to his argument of the first cause. I mean, we can discern in, with our own ability to reason that things in the world have a cause. They have a cause for their existence. And yet there is a first cause, God who caused all things to come into being. His argument from contingency that, you know, not everything can go in and out of existence or there would be nothing. And yet we know there is something and not nothing. And God is that, uh, the one that is always uh, there, has always been there, will always be. The one I like the most, the one that I think speaks to me, is his argument from degree. I mean, we know 
a beautiful flower when we see it, and we know an ugly flower when we see it. We can tell the difference between a beautiful, thriving flower and a withered, dead flower. We can we can tell the difference between things that are beautiful and things that are not, things that are noble and things that are not. And according to Aquinas, that is possible because there is an absolute beauty, there is an absolute nobility, an absolute truth, and that that we know that that is God. That's personally my favorite favorite of his argument. And then his argument of the final cause or the final end, which is the uh, theological argument, that one should not be confused with this argument of intelligent design. Because you don't really have to believe in a personal loving God if you argue intelligent design. And yet Christianity is different. You know, the world exists to praise God. We exist to find God. We have an end. We have a, a reason for, for being. So it's different than the, you know, the clockmaker argument of the dispassionate clockmaker who built the universe, wound it up, and walked away. I would yeah. encourage your listeners to be familiar with Aquinas' five arguments, because they come in very handy in conversations with folks who are struggling with doubt. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I think is good here, too, you had mentioned on the one that speaks the most to you, the different degrees of you know, good or bad or beauty or things that are not beautiful. Um, that also brings into, uh, when you're talking with an atheist and there's this question of, well, can you prove it from science? There's lots of things that we acknowledge in general as humans that cannot be necessarily proved or quantified scientifically when you talk about things like honor or courage, love, loyalty, right. joy, you know, things like this that, that we experience, that we all acknowledge that we experience, but, you know, uh, the, it's going to be almost impossible to approach those from a scientific standpoint and be able to quantify, you know, if this happens, then you absolutely will be a loyal person, or if this does not happen, then that will mean you are not courageous. You know, th there's different circumstances that happen for all of us that lead to these different responses um, that aren't, again, quantified by science. You know, one other thing that I think is always kind of brought into this, I understand it. I don't think it's necessarily good from an atheistic dialogue standpoint, but it is something that, depending on the right person, it might be worth man mentioning, and this is Blaise Pascal, the um, philosopher, um, and there's this wage, wager yeah, that, yeah, right, wage, that he yeah. put forth. And, um, you know, that's, again, I think if it's the right person, and maybe you can kind of walk us through Pascal's wager here. I have used this in conversations with folks who are struggling with their, their doubt, and I always tell them, you know, if the atheists are correct, there will never be a victory parade for them. There will never be a moment where the atheists will be able to say, see, we told you so, there is no God. Because if they are correct, there is nothing beyond this. But if they are not correct, you know, 
God will reveal himself to all the nations. You know, this is a very deeply held Christian idea that the Lord Jesus will appear again in glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and will have to recognize him as the son of the living God. So the wager is like, well, it just makes sense, you know, that you would you would put your money uh, on on God because if if you lose that bet, there's nothing, there's no there's no consequence. But if you put your money on nothingness and it turns out that that is incorrect, then look at what you have lost. Um, it's an interesting argument. It's kind of fun to play around with that. But I, I often think about that. I, I feel for people who are atheistic and passionate about it because there, is, there will never be a time will, when they will be able to claim victory. One, because I believe there is a God. But even if they were right, it would just be silence and emptiness, right. uh, yeah. which is oblique, very, very... Atheism at its core is probably the bleakest worldview imaginable. Talking again here today with Father Jim Goins on The Inner Life, and we're talking about atheism, how we can respond to it when we are in dialogue with somebody, but also when maybe that question or some uh, persuasive point is brought to us. How do we deal with maybe some of the questions that arise for ourselves? How can we answer those? Where can we look? And just like we had discussed, a great place to start is with St. Thomas Aquinas and his five proofs for the existence of God. But also, how can we deal with those doubts when they do arise in our lives? And you're welcome to call in 888-914-9149. Maybe you've dealt with some doubts, some questions in your life. Uh, maybe you're dealing with those right now, and you'd like to talk with Father Jim, 888-914-9149. Maybe it's dealing with somebody in your family or a coworker or a friend, and you're just not sure how to respond to some of the different points or the, the different questions they've raised. Again, 888-914-9149. Father, let's go to uh, Pennsylvania. Julie is calling in. Hi, Julie. You're on the air with Father Jim. Hi, Josh. Hi, Father Jim. Uh, hi. Yes, I was just... Hi. I was just talking with my brother, and we grew up Catholic, and he is now atheist, and he does not believe in God. And I asked him about Jesus, who he thought Jesus was, and I, I brought up the idea that is he a liar, is he crazy, or is he telling the truth? And he just didn't have much to say except that, you know, well, people have misinterpreted him, you know. It's over hundreds of years, and that the different translations of the Bible have misinterpreted his words. And I said, but Mike, he's... It's in history as well, what he said, and he really didn't have much to say. So I was wondering what I could do in that situation. I think the best thing that you can do for your brother is to pray for him daily, to make him your rosary project. He's baptized, he has been claimed by Christ, and I think that if you commit uh, to a sustained prayer for his soul. I am a very optimistic person. I have a high degree of confidence 
in the grace of Christ, but I think in a loving way, certainly not, you know, not in a hostile way, not adversarial, but to probe him, you know, a little more deeply. You know, when did you lose faith in God? What what do you think happens to us when we die? What why are you a moral person? One of the best questions you can ask an atheist is, okay, there is no God. Why then are you a moral person? What is it within you that that draws you to be moral, to be good? What is it that is in in your in your being? They wouldn't they wouldn't agree to a soul, but what is it within you that compels you to be good and just and honest? And to begin from there and to kind of slowly walk them back to an awareness of how deeply ingrained their faith actually is. It just sounds to me that he has drifted away, and the easiest excuse is to simply say, oh, well, I don't, I don't believe in God, hoping that people will leave him alone. Julie, thanks for the call. Hope that helps you. And again, our phone number here, if you'd like to call in and speak with Father Jim Goins, is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Uh, we'll be right back, continuing our conversation in just a moment here. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, flexible premium life insurance. For less than $12 a month, a 40-year-old can get a half million dollars of coverage. Go to RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Thanks for joining us here during this hour of The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I want to say thank you to Nick Sentevich, who is producing the program, Cyrus Simcoe helping call screen for us here, and thank you for being a part of it. If you joined us late, we're talking about the new atheism, how we can respond to people who question us about our belief in God, but also how we can kind of reinforce our own understanding of the faith, how we can look at God and say, no, this really is a reasonable, logical, practical uh, belief and understanding. And uh, if you missed some of the earlier conversation, I would encourage you, after the show ends, go and find the podcast. It's available at our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. And today's talk, um, speaking with, <laughs> I was going to combine talking and speaking there into one word, uh, speaking with Father Jim Goins. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, the pastor of St. Eugene's Parish in Oklahoma City. And I uh, want to give out the phone number one more time, 888-914-9149, if you'd like to join us here on our conversation, 888-914-9149. Uh, Father, before we go back to the phones, you know, one of the things that I remember hearing this quote years and years ago, this is by Brennan Manning. He's an author. He's a theologian. Um, passed away, I think, back in maybe 2013. But he made this statement, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, whether that truly is the greatest single cause of atheism, 
that might be able to be debated, but it really raises that larger issue that people watch our actions. And if we say one thing, but then we live that kind of hypocritical life, that behavior, if we're not practicing what we preach, we invalidate the gospel message for anyone watching us. And then it really does become, why, why are you even telling me this if you don't live out what you say you believe? That's a great point. And I think one of the best responses, sometimes the only response that we can make to the new atheists, is to live lives of virtue, lives of hope, and lives of charity. If you think about it, the atheists don't, they don't found hospitals and schools. They don't, you know, they don't have hospices. They don't have food banks. You know, it's our lives of witness, our care, our concern for the poor, for those who are on the margins of life, that become the best argument for the vitality of faith. And especially since the debate is now whether religion is good for society or not, if we can show them our good works that are done out of love for our God and love for humanity, that's a powerful response to atheism. You know, I started off the hour talking also about this false dichotomy that we often hear that if you believe in God, well, then you must not accept science. And if you accept science, well, then you can't possibly believe in God. Uh, maybe you can talk a little about that, too. You know, we, I, I mentioned that. We really never got into it. But again, these two are not mutually exclusive, and they can exist. In, in most cases, they do absolutely harmoniously. Let me confess that that attitude drives me crazy when I talk to people who will say, well, you believe in God, I believe in science. I always say, I, too, believe in science. I, you know, belong to a church that founded the university system, and you can tell them of all of the faithful Catholic scientists and, I mean, the number just goes on and on. The list is almost endless. And to tell them, no, we also believe in science and value science. We think that ultimately, this is a Catholic belief, ultimately science will lead humanity to God. It will ultimately affirm God. Now, I think there's an old saying that a little bit of science makes people atheistic. A lot of science makes them believers. So with, especially if you're dealing with university students, uh, to let them know that their church is actually very pro-scientific is, is essential. Yeah, very good. Father, let's go back to the phones. And again, our phone number here as we're talking with Father Jim Goins, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Montana is calling in, uh, listening in Florida. Hi, Montana. Welcome to The Inner Life. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having your show. Um, so I'll get quite to the point real quick. I have a 25-year-old daughter who's college-educated, highly intelligent, very much a history major and buff. Um, I'm understanding what you're saying about the science point, but she's coming from a historical point, 
And I, I'm not going to say she's atheist because she's not. She's not quite sure what she believes, even though she was raised in a Catholic home with one parent being an active churchgoer and one not. Right. So I think that has a lot to do with things. Um, so I'm just kind of curious. I missed, I just tuned in late, so I missed the name of the C.S. Lewis book you were talking about. Um, but I'm wondering from a historical standpoint, one of her points to me, and forgive me, I'm not a history buff, um, was, you know, uh, where we received the Ten Commandments, she can't find it anywhere in history where that is supported. So I'm kind of dealt with this, like, oh, how do I approach this? Because I don't want to beat her over the head, so to speak, because I find that's the way to drive someone away. I just want to encourage her, and maybe I'm not the one hoping you're closer to God, but I'm I'm praying like St. Monica, that somebody will. Right. Will. Good. Good. <laughs> well, I am a history buff. I'm a frustrated historian. Uh, I do wish I could study even more of it. I would remind her gently that the Bible is history. There is history in the Bible. And in fact, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, is a history of humanity's earliest memories of the one true living God. And that in history, the giving of the Ten Commandments was this enormous leap forward for humanity that taught the people, if you want to live free, if you want to be free, this is what you must do to remain free. If you want to remain in bondage and slavery, well, you know, slaves, people in bondage, they're not morally culpable because they're in bondage. But it's a historical event. Israel is was a historical event. So I would, you know, I would love to sit down and talk with her because I love talking with people who adore history as I do. But that's one thing you might remind her is, no, the Bible is also very historical. And it's interesting how archaeology is continually affirming events, names, personalities in the Old Testament. You know, that these are not made-up stories. These are not fables. These are very early memories, uh, humanity's memories of their experience with the one true God. Montana, thanks for the call. Um, you, you also mentioned you didn't hear the, the books by C.S. Lewis. Um, the first one mentioned was The Problem of Pain. That deals with human suffering. Um, start, he starts off by explaining how he was an atheist but came to faith. Um, the one that might be more beneficial for your daughter from what it sounds like that C.S. Lewis wrote is Mere Christianity, where, again, he talks about his atheistic background but how he rationally had to come to a conclusion there really was a God. So again, The Problem of Pain or Mere Christianity, both excellent reads. I, I highly recommend them. Um, Father, we've got a couple minutes here. Let's go to one more phone call. We've got sure. Brenda, who's calling in from Chula Vista, California. Brenda, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I, my question was, and I'm sorry I'm on speaker for when I'm on a road trip and I my hands on the wheel, but um, my daughter has... Was, raised Catholic, but she has since become one of those believers that says, I believe uh, in a supreme being, but not necessarily God. And I, you know, she doesn't say she's atheist, and I have 
I know it's a you know touchy subject, and she gets very defensive. So, how do you engage with somebody like that? So, your daughter affirms a higher power. Is that what she affirms? Yes. Okay, that's that's a very common uh, stance that we find now, especially amongst younger people. And and what that means is. They have not, that your daughter has not rejected God. She's not an atheist, but she has yet to find a relationship with Christ. Because we can certainly affirm the existence of a higher power and have no relationship with with the higher power, and yet Christianity is a call to be in relationship with Christ. So the good news is that your daughter is close to the kingdom. You know, she still has this this awareness that there is a higher power, something in the universe uh, more interesting than than she is, than I am, that you are. And it's funny to me how many atheists can't imagine anything in the universe more interesting than themselves. So uh, your daughter is very close to faith. I would continue to pray for her, of course, but to dialogue with her and to share with her what your faith in Christ has meant for you. That's a great thing for parents to do for their children. And again, not adversarial, not reprimanding them, simply sharing with her what your walk with Christ has meant to you. Brenda, thanks for calling in. And uh, Father, the last couple calls here, Montana and Brenda, uh, the children that are questioning what they've grown up with as far as their faith, um, a lot of this really does need to go back to prayer. You know, as a, as a parent, we want to have a silver bullet that will just immediately convince our child that, well, here's where you're wrong, and here's where I'm right, and this is what you need to do. But right. most of the time, that's not going to happen, because they have to have that journey, that personal relationship develop on their own. Exactly. And I hope all of your listeners would also advocate within their own diocese for more resources to be placed into campus evangelization. So many of these people mentioned today, you know, they were collegians who have lost their faith or collegians who have uh, drifted away uh, from the faith. We have a sacred responsibility to evangelize that generation. And if we lose that generation, the church is losing an enormous treasure. And I would yeah, hope that exactly all of your right. listeners would support campus ministry. Father Jim Goins, uh, we're flat out of time. It's been such a good conversation. But Thank before we wrap so up, could, could you offer a blessing for our listeners in the last 10 seconds here? Absolutely. May Almighty God, the living God, the true God, the God who spoke to our ancestors, may He draw close to you. May He reveal Himself to you. And may you always know of His presence in your life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Father Jim. Stay tuned. Mass starts right now here on Relevant Radio.